Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The new season is already underway and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With a Bet365 bet builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's match live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're back for a new season. Uh, joined, as always, by The Athletic writers Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Hello, guys. Hello, Hiya. Nice Hello. It was tough, wasn't it? A long wait, long wait between the end of last <laughs> season and the beginning of this one. Yeah, I've forgotten. What, what is football? Uh, <laughs> no, it's good to be back. And Arsenal came back in strong start. They did indeed, and we will certainly talk uh, a little bit about that. Uh, before we do, um, there are um, there are a number of contenders for best comedy series on Amazon uh, this year, uh, but I but I think uh, the Tottenham uh, documentary All or Nothing is it called All or Nothing? I believe it is. It um, is. Well, it is. Isn't, it, what, isn't it just nothing? Well, quite. I mean, it's it has been pointed shot. out. Mm. Yeah. It has been pointed out by a number of people. Uh, Could have been a much, uh, more, much more succinct title. <laughs> it might not have been so appealing to Amazon viewers, though, to want something called nothing. But <laughs> um, anyway, Spurs, there's a documentary all or nothing about Spurs last season. So we were thinking uh, here at Handbreak Off, uh, what would be a suitable season uh, to um, have Arsenal um involved in a uh, in an Amazon documentary. Um, Amy, do you have a season that you'd like to see uh, documented? Yeah, I mean, I, I, as usual, I could have picked one of several, but I, I think it I think it needs to have some sort of drama and uh, controversy in it. And the season that I've selected is uh, the 1990-91 season for Arsenal, uh, a campaign in which the captain was sent to prison um, which was clearly the most um, uh, strange and really complicated uh, situation to affect the team and, and the whole squad and the whole club. Um, and also there was a massive brawl at Old Trafford where two points got deducted and the rest of the campaign was quite siege mentality-like. Um, ended up winning the league with only one defeat. So the very, very close to uh, uh, Invincibles was that season but because there was so much they were up against so many things that were probably you know outside of regulation on the pitch stuff uh, that you might have to imagine um, I think it would have been fascinating and seeing how George Graham controlled that situation or tried to control it there was uh, you know a lot of Arsenal being on the front pages as well as the back pages of the newspapers which was a big deal at the time um, yeah I think that would have made a, a pretty gripping series with a great oh. finish. 
all I can hear in my head is you can stick your two points up your ass. <laughs> to be that. honest with you. Uh, in fact, Tony, most... Adams, Tony Adams often says that, you know, he, he, he defines himself as an invincible because he didn't lose a game that season. Quite, quite. Uh, yeah, good, uh, very, very good choice. Um, James, what about you? Well, I mean, maybe there's a bit of recency bias shown here, but I have to say, last season, I think, would be a pretty extraordinary one. You yeah. think, you know, Unai Emery's uh, demise, uh, Mikel Arteta coming in, the Granite Shaka incident against Crystal Palace where he's booed off, obviously the coronavirus uh, pandemic and the very real effect <laughs> that had at Arsenal and beyond it. Uh, <laughs> it goes on and on. An FA Cup final victory, the post-script, sort of departure of Raul Sanyei, uh the redundancies within the club. I mean, that would be a hell of a documentary. I can't... You know what? I was going to choose that as well, but I've got to be honest, I can't... <laughs> I just don't think we could top that. I mean, Amy, we just had a brawl at Old Trafford in 1991, didn't oh, we? I'm really? sticking with that. But no, no, and that's fair enough. I'm going... <laughs> you know what? I, I, those two, I, I do think, uh, stand out. Although... I mean, I'm just thinking... five was that the other one that people suggested, maybe? Why would we want to watch that one? Well, that was I the mean, George Graham sort of uh, um, bitter end situation uh, in that season. I guess we should also think about who we want to be entertaining here. Do we want to be entertaining Arsenal fans or everyone else? Because That's true. Because I, I don't know how many Tottenham fans are going to be watching a, a documentary about last season, to be honest with you. But, hey, uh, we'll certainly enjoy it. They've had Arsenal fan TV for five years. We can have a bit of fun going the other way. <laughs> are you way. watching? Are you watching? I haven't started watching it yet, have you? No. I've seen the first one, I have to say. Come on, James. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Jose Mourinho is a man who knows how to work a camera and it's that's kind it's... of why I don't fancy watching it <laughs> yeah. It yeah it's a little staged it's a little staged isn't it I mean I saw a it clip it does feel a bit staged they put a clip out where two nameless Sky Sports pundits and by the way I, I don't know I have no idea who they were were having a go at him and he ended up telling the TV to bugger off and mm. uh, turning it off and I thought is this how many goes did they get at this it was a it was a little odd i i felt yeah, and I, that, I i don't know there's a few moments like that where you're not sure if you're watching reality or not and also because there's a bit of editorial control presumably given over to the club they kind of skip over quite a lot of big incidents like you know son sending off at everton for example and and the gomez injury and all that it just doesn't even get touched on um boil accounts so you know I, I think i think it's a pretty entertaining watch but i'm not sure how authentic it really is i just no. i just i just feel um on a kind of moral high ground sense that uh i'm i feel above voyeurism when it comes to jose Mourinho. Mm, i can see why you don't, you by the way, that. you don't you don't have to say it on a moral high ground sort of sense when it comes to Jose Mourinho. We all understand that we all have that. Okay, I must so, say, uh, as as fun as it would be to kind of see those fly on the wall Arsenal documentaries, I would also hate it. I think it would be kind of dreadful for the club, to be honest, for 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 anything internal to be that much uh, available to non Arsenal fans would worry me. So I hope it doesn't happen personally. <laughs> Although, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, fair enough. Like, like I say, I think it comes down to to who these things are for, really. Mm, exactly. Uh, and and um, uh, but yes, Do you think I... that's a part of the decision making when a club gets approached for that. <laughs> no, genuinely, that's a very funny idea. Think yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, you know, if you think there's been Sunderland, Manchester City, Juventus, um, the ones that spring to mind. Do you think that at any point when they're 
considering this offer, this proposal, and there's obviously a big financial imperative that there is a sense of who is this actually for and how is it going to be received? Maybe. I mean, you know, Spurs are a team that, I don't know, it feels like a lot of neutrals enjoy uh, kind of revelling in their problems sometimes. But I, I think the thing that unites... Man City and Sunderland is that they were both teams who at that specific point in their history had a kind of imperative to increase their brand and I'd argue actually that Spurs appointing Mourinho was as much about them getting a big name and you know global recognition as anything else and I think that sort of shows kind of like what their aspirations are um but yeah, they are a good choice because, you know, you could make a spot documentary about Spurs every year and I think it would probably be quite good fun to watch. Anyway, at this yeah, point... Yeah, I, I, what podcast are we on? I can feel our listeners going, now, hang <laughs> on a minute, that's enough about them. <laughs> Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight, yes, eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Athletic Podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers for those slow at maths. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest craft breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then, they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash athletic to get your free case. And don't forget, right now, the Athletic listeners get two extra free beers. We're really only talking about it because we just believe it might be just a car crash of a telly and we, we can't wait to see uh, the rest of it. Um, anyway, uh, the point is, uh, we also, uh, we started the season pretty much before anyone else. Uh, we had a, a week off or whatever it was and then off we were again uh, with the uh, the Community Shield. Uh, did either of you go, by the way? No, I was watching no. on telly at home. Yeah, Same. Same. It was... Um, it was a continuation. I mean, we won't talk about this too long because it was four or five days ago, but it was a continuation of what we've seen. I mean, I mean, it should not be forgotten that in the last month and a half, Arsenal have beaten Liverpool twice, Manchester City and uh, Chelsea. Did uh, Amy, did you see further evidence of steps forward being taken? Yeah, I mean, with the caveat that I don't think that it was um, as competitive in, in a way for obvious reasons, but I liked the idea that when you look back at the... Uh, previous win against Liverpool that was so jammy that everybody was just laughing uh, it, it almost didn't feel like a serious result if that's not um, being rude but this one it felt a bit more like Arsenal really were able to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool on a more uh, level footing and that interested me I think there's a dynamic there that's shifted and maybe it's a culmination of being able to pull off results and and 
take those instructions and have the plan that they've been given by Arteta and execute it perfectly and get the result. To be able to do that, not as a one-off in slightly ludicrous circumstances because Liverpool chucked a couple of goals in their own net, but since then beating Manchester City in an amazing way with a great performance, beating Chelsea with a, uh, another excellent performance. And then it feels like there's a, a sort of roots are deepening in terms of that capacity to go into a game. And I think Mikel Arteta said it or somebody said it about not, you know, feeling fearless. And if you think back, there'd been such a, a, a depth, a reservoir of these, you know, very inhibited performances against uh, established sides, the top sides that it's been so many years. And it was always such a cringe when you have to look at a preview of a match against one of the big top four or six or whatever they're calling it these days. And everyone would say, well, it's not, you know, it's not been since bloody blah since Arsenal managed to win away from home at a big side. And suddenly they're just to be able to pick up consecutive victories against slightly different teams, but all very good ones, it's really helpful for the team. And the habit of winning is really helpful for the team. So I think as much what it, what it tells the team about themselves as anything else, it gave, val- gave great value to that community shield. And as for uh, James, that's what Amy said about the, the competitive nature of the game. I mean, I don't know, but as I watched the game unfold, I felt... I felt that it did become more competitive and I think they suddenly found themselves in a real scrap and the fact that they came out on top must must give us all a lot of um a lot of optimism going into the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people play down, you know, the competitive nature of the community shield and I understand that, but if you watch the faces of the players in the penalty shootout, I mean, the Liverpool players for example, they they desperately wanted to win that. Uh, and it's natural competitive instinct when you get to that point. You want to win the game. And and Arsenal, I thought, really showed uh, a lot of spirit because they were a week behind Liverpool in their preparations. They played less friendlies than them going in. They were visibly tired because they'd been without the ball for almost the entirety of the second half. I mean, it was something crazy, the possession, 85% or something like that in Liverpool's favour. But they held on. And I agree with Amy. I think the sort of accumulation of victories over big teams, it, it does lend itself to that belief and there is a growing belief among this Arsenal team and uh, uh, consequently a a greater commitment and adherence to the plan I think it's brilliant for Mikel Arteta and it it keeps the positive momentum going uh, after the cup final yeah, cause, and also because the first seven games of uh, of the season coming up, uh, there are some tricky fixtures, yeah. I think we can say. And um, we may need to play in that way. You know, we may need to uh, use that style more than once in those first seven games or so. Now, some of the standout performances, I mean, uh, we want to talk a little bit about some of the transfer situations. And by the way, uh, I imagine this we're recording this podcast on the Wednesday morning and, and it's possible that we talk about something that then changes by the time it comes out. But uh, there is some uh, some pretty good news, uh, first of all. Uh, Danny Ceballos uh, coming back from uh, Real Madrid for another season on loan. Um, I mean, he was... He was integral, Amy, certainly to the cup final win and um, and certainly in the last few weeks of the season. And, um, w- well, if we get a couple of other midfielders in, we have some serious options, don't we? I think the second part of that sentence there was interesting. The um, second part being? 
being if we get a couple of extras. And uh, for all the <laughs> well, uh, um, goodness of Danny Tobias coming back, and I think it makes loads of sense to have someone who is integrated, used to the club, used to the manager, used to the Premier League, etc. Um, you know, is obviously going to be great. He shouldn't need any settling in. Um, and he's shown what he, I, I, I think it's great that he he showed such improvement in the latter half of the season. And perhaps if you'd have asked people after Christmas, six months or so into his, uh, his, his stay, whether they wanted to keep Danny Ceballos, I think that probably it would have been quite a mixed response. But because of the nature of his um, quite dedicated and hardworking approach to really giving a lot more to the team, that percentage has changed a lot. However, we still have to put it in the overall perspective of creativity within Arsenal's squad. And with Danny Ceballos and others, there was a real shortage of actual assists, goals from midfield. Um, and while it's good news to have him return, I think it will be much better news to supplement that with some other options to add creativity because there still needs to be that link between the lines between what's going on in the kind of working department of midfield uh, and the strikers. That seems to be a, a, it should be a priority, I'd have thought. And I don't know if Danny Sabias alone can solve that problem. No, I, I, no, I mean, I think that's, that is true. So <laughs> you sort of took the wind out of my sails a little bit because I was quite Sorry, I didn't it. mean that. I think it's good. I, I do think it's good news, but I think it's going to be really good news in conjunction with something else. Quite. Quite. I mean, one of the other players that there's been a lot of speculation about, and then, then after the uh, Community Shield, uh, I heard before it was he was going, and then after, oh, no, no, he's staying, is Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who mm. perhaps, James, could make a difference in the midfield for Arsenal. He could. He could. Or maybe end up making a difference at right back, if we're to believe the the, the stories about Hector Bellerin you yes. know, this morning, potentially yes. leaving the club. But I think, you know, he has had a really excellent run because if you think back to sort of January, February time, Ainsley Maitland-Niles couldn't get a kick under Mikel Arteta. He played his first few games. Then he was left almost entirely out of the squad for quite a protracted period. And he's knuckled down since then. Um, he really refocused himself. I think part of that refocus, to be honest, was to move, to move elsewhere, to try and play first-team football at another Premier League club. But... The performances he's put in, the versatility he's shown, the application, the athleticism, the intelligence in terms of adapting to different positions on the field, has made him really, really valuable to Mikel Arteta. And, you know, as a player who's just been called up to the England squad, that puts another, I don't know, £10 million sometimes on your on your transfer market valuation. So, Is that good or bad, though, for us? Because we'd like to keep him, right? But if suddenly yeah. he becomes... If suddenly he he's worth another £10 million... That then, you know, makes him more attractive for us to sell if we've got someone to replace him. Maybe, but I just think he's such a useful Swiss Army knife kind of player who can do so many different jobs in the squad. Uh, he would not be near the top of my list, shall we say, in terms of players I'd be looking to get rid of. Um, there, there are many more I can think of before him. So I hope he stays, I really do. And it's looking increasingly like that might be the case. And I'm sure Arteta must want that because... As a coach, he's a dream. You know, you can put him at left back, right back, wing back on either side, central midfield. He can play on the wing if needs be. I suppose the question is, is he happy with that? You know, does is he content with that role within the squad? But 
If he is, I mean, he's an incredibly useful player for any manager. That's the question, though, Amy, isn't it? The versatility of someone, it might be great for the club, but it might not be so good for the player himself. But I guess you've got to take a bit of a grass is always greener um, glance at this because is he going to be promised uh, a particular position forever and ever at another club and a club that he wants to be in uh, as well? Uh, anytime you move, there's a, there is an element of risk that it might not quite be as you wished. It might be amazing, but it might not be. Um, so I, I would say a little bit of caution on his part. It depends the options that he has and who's genuinely in for him and, and how desperate he is to go and play elsewhere. But considering his you know, last few months have been really enjoyable, one would think. Uh, I mean, it looks like it. He looks pretty happy um, when he's playing. He's quite a calm, laid-back character, so he doesn't show too much uh, of his emotions outwardly. But there's what's not to like for a boy who's been at the club for many years, who's in the, in the squad with a bunch of guys he's grown up with in you know, Willock and Katia Saka and so on, um, who is local, uh, he's got all his friends and family, he's playing at a great club and th things are looking up under a manager who everybody seems to want to play for. So I, I don't know, I mean, you sometimes wonder what the motivations are for people who are being um, pushed towards moves. And it's not always just him. There might be people around him that are, uh, who have some sort of a, a vested interest or, or an opinion that might be, <laughs> have a reason to, to try and push him towards a move. There's that, that kind of stuff as well. Who do you listen to? Who do you trust? Who do you use opinion? Do you care about? There's, a, there's actually probably quite a lot in his head. Um, it's perhaps not quite as straightforward as sitting down and being told, do you want to stick around? Or would you like to go somewhere else? Because he's obviously got plenty of options available to him. Yes, a man with options. He should listen to us, essentially, is what he should do. And, uh, and he's stay. never been so popular. I mean, honestly, that uh, mm. after the... I mean, his last wonderfully nonchalant penalty in the, oh. Oh. <laughs> in the Community <laughs> Shield. And uh, when it suddenly became apparent that he was being linked with a move, the, the deluge of... Uh, of people who were suggesting that Arsenal sell almost anybody but him must give him a bit of a confidence boost because I, I certainly saw probably about a 95% or more sort of sway of like any league. <laughs> department, we obviously have two uh, outstanding goalkeepers. Uh, Emi Martinez, certainly the last few months have been a dream for him. I mean, I've seen plenty of pictures of him, uh, you know, from five, six years ago saying, keep working, keep working. And then it's retweeted with him with an FA Cup or a Community Shield. And, and things have worked out beautifully, but he wants to be number one. And I don't think Mikel Arteta can give him that guarantee, can he, uh, James? I don't think he can. I mean, with goalkeepers, it's a bit different, isn't it, to any other position on the field because there's only one of you actually gets out there. And I can't see Mikel Arteta saying to Emi Martinez, you're my number one for the rest of the season. Definitively. He is the better. He is the better of the two in terms of distribution at his feet. I agree he? with that. I agree with that. And actually, you know, there are aspects of Martinez that I do prefer to Leno. But I think what, what Emmy's looking for is for him to say, when the Premier League rolls around, you're my goalkeeper in that competition. He knows that's the real number one. You know, whether you get the cup games or the European games, it's about the Premier League. 
And I get the strong impression those are the fixtures that he wants to be earmarked for. I think the difficult thing for Arteta is we forget almost how good Leno was. I mean, Leno was absolutely outstanding for the majority of last season. And I would say playing behind a defence that was not as well drilled, not as organised, not as committed at times as the one Martinez has benefited from uh, in his run in the team. So it's a really, really difficult one. And at a time where we're saying Arsenal have to sell some players if they're going to bring in these midfielders we're all desperate for, you know, you do look at that and think, well, maybe one of those goalkeepers is an option to go. I say it with a heavy heart if it's Martinez because... You know, I think his story is fantastic and his performance has been brilliant too. But I'm not convinced Arsenal need two goalkeepers of that quality as desperately as they need a central midfielder, say. No, I mean, Amy, this is more an emotional thing from the fans, isn't it, really? We saw how much it meant to him after the cup final and, 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 and as James said, his journey and his story. And we'd like that to continue at Arsenal. Yeah, but I think that it's the job of Arteta to not be emotional about these things um, and not be sentimental. It's really tricky because in it, I think the dream scenario is you've got two goalkeepers who look like they have every right to feel like they're number one. And if there was a way of persuading them to have one season battling it out and like let the best man win and then the, the one who is less happy at the end of it gets with a, a big blessing to go and sort of where they like for a fair price. Um, that's that's unrealistic in the real world, I think, unfortunately. But uh, I, I'm, I'm finding it very hard to choose. I, I try and analyse it in my own head. Um, I, I, I'm not sure which side of the fence. I, I wouldn't want to make that choice, to be honest. I'd quite like to know what the goalkeeping coaches think, because obviously they're the most... Uh, um, they should have the best eyes and the, for judging something like that. But it's so strange because, in a way, Martinez's period was so brilliant but so short, and there isn't really that long that long um, uh, example of how he would fare over a longer period of time. We've not really seen Martinez have to deal with a massive problem, or a you know, uh, most goalkeepers are going to have. Uh, a, 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 a situation where they're to fault, at fault for something and to blame or they blame themselves and how do you deal with with those situations if you make a mistake very early on in a big game can you cope with it can you get it out of your mind and play well for the rest of the game is your confidence going to stay high uh, or are you going to take a big hit these are things we don't really know yet on the highest stage for him Leno obviously has so much more experience and we've got a, a, lot, a much bigger picture to try and analyse. Um, so, so it's, it's a, to be honest, it's bloody difficult. I wouldn't, want to, <laughs> I wouldn't want to make that pick. But then maybe there's even, a, you know, the sense that you have to factor in how much each player might be worth if they were sold. Are they, are they worth the same in the transfer market? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you pick it not? for the Fulham game? Who would I? Which goalkeeper would I pick for the yeah. Fulham game? Martinez, Martinez, mm. hands down. I just, I don't think, I, I think Martinez might be a slightly better goalkeeper. That's my feeling. I think he has the same attributes as Leno in terms of um, shot saving. He made, he makes a, he made a couple of great saves down low in big games. Um, one shot into the corner from maybe Raheem Sterling when he, oh no, Mares when he cut inside for Manchester City. And Martin has made that look easy. And I, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure Leno would have saved it as well. But 
I like his confidence and he seems to have grown into the position. I'd have I'd have Martinez and also, as I said before, his distribution. Uh, and that is obviously the way that Mikel Arteta wants to play. Amy, you're sitting on the fence for this one, well, James. Right. Well, you can't sit on the fence for the first game of the season. You've got to pick someone. I, I think I'd stick with Martinez as well because he's done nothing not to be in the side. I think in the air he's better as well. And it depends who you're playing against. But if you're playing, considering how many goals Arsenal gave away from set pieces, uh, I don't know how quickly the evolution will come in terms of integrating the much uh, taller centre backs that are now at the club. Um, but, you know, in theory, uh, you know, a, a, a great big giant coming at you to catch a ball confidently with two other six foot three, six foot four guys in there might make Arsenal a very different prospect, hopefully, defending set pieces. James, who are you having? Yeah, I'd, I'd stick with the man who's in possession, really. I mean, I just can't really find a rationale to drop him. You know, it, it, he hasn't done anything wrong. And if he does do something wrong and he doesn't respond to it, as Amy says, we don't know how he'll recover to, uh, from a setback. Then you've got a, a great goalkeeper there to come in. Um, you know, th- that would be my choice. But but like Amy says, the technical staff, Arteta and Inyaki Kanya, the goalkeeping coach, in fairness, they will be making a decision based on a lot more information than us. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be a really fascinating one. It is. And now there are obviously there are quite a few players who could be out the door. We don't know. So I, I guess what we can do is maybe discuss some of those players as and when they leave, whether it's Guendouzi or Socrates or Mustafi or whoever else, or Ozil. I've just crossed all my fingers. <laughs> but, um, don't you uh, enough fingers, mate. <laughs> I, I actually don't. I mean, we, you know, we talked about him enough. Uh, there's a couple of players that are coming in that we should uh, talk about. Uh, now, Gabriel, Gabriel, Magalhães, um, we can talk Sorry, about him. What, what was that, pardon? Do you know oh, what? That, that was a decent run, run effort, I think. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think you sort of throw... I've got lots of stick on various podcasts over the way I try and pronounce no. this, but I'm quite good at this sort of stuff. You didn't? You weren't very happy with that, Amy? No, no, I was really impressed. I want to hear it again. <laughs> can it we hear it again almost, slower? It was almost like walking down a Portuguese high street, wasn't it, really? Um, I thought it was Gabriel Magalhães, right? It's a sort of yay type sound, but possibly the player himself might uh, might have some ideas how his name's pronounced and maybe we should listen to him but we can talk about him in a short while because I know James you've written a piece um about him and I and I love the sound of him already by the way but um you know what no one's really talked about Willian uh since um since he's arrived um I mean there is talk James that we that, that Mikel Arteta wants to play him in central midfield I mean, I mean, I know that the the fee and the, the wages are eye watering, but if he produces half of what he produced for Chelsea, he's going to be some player for us. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one with William because I don't think you can argue that he will improve our options for next season. I think people's resistance and reluctance about it is the idea of well, where will he be towards the end of that three-year contract. But I agree with you in the short term. I think he is going to make a positive contribution and. Uh, he was a very good player for Chelsea for seven years. I think Chelsea's players twice voted him their player of the year in that period, including at a time when Eden Hazard was at the club, you know. So he obviously made a really decent contribution to them. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does at Arsenal. I think, I'm not sure exactly where he will play, but I think the advantage of Willian is that he gives you options. He he played on the right a lot for Chelsea. He can play on the left. He can play behind the striker too. Um 
And he's part of that, you know, growing Brazilian base. I mean, Arsenal have really replaced Chelsea, haven't they, as the kind of London destination for, for Brazilians <laughs> at the moment. Quite. Uh, um, hopefully he won't give away five penalties like other Brazilians we've had uh, in the team. But, uh, Amy, are you excited by the prospect of William playing for us? Yeah, I agree with James. I think it's um, for, the, for this forthcoming season, absolutely. Let's, let's see. This, this is, God, you know, we just mentioned that creativity between the lines has been a bit of an issue. So having someone else to link things together is, uh, is really promising. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's three years down the line. I'd be a bit more interested to see if there's still such a great return. You can only cross our fingers. Um, I'm guessing that the sort of delay, I, I guess, like most of you, we saw the, the video of um, uh, the, the Zoom call between David Luiz, Gabriel and Willian. Did you all see that? Yesterday? No, I didn't uh, see this. Uh, no. our, our Arsenal put together a, a very nice uh, sort of by, by way of introduction to the, the announcement of the signing of Gabriel, got uh, David Luiz to give... Willian a call first of all and they had a chit chat and then it's like oh let's see who else we can get on the line and, and there was Gabrielle and they were all having a very sweet it was a very touching um made you feel like you wanted to be in their gang they all seemed like super nice guys uh just 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 chatting away about what they were looking forward to and being together and you can see when you watch that as well all those things that people talk about in terms of David Luiz and the Yes. The popularity he has within the squad, the positive influence he has in helping people. I think he's one of life's givers, not just penalties. Sorry, Givers away. <laughs> I think he's one, he is one of life's givers as a human being. And yes. you can see how much um, uh, other, other players, particularly from Brazil, particularly those younger than him, and you can obviously include Martinelli in this as well, look up to someone like that and benefit from the, the positivity that he wants to give them all the time or most of the time um anyway uh i'm it's i don't know when they recorded this thing but it, it looked like obviously that i'm assuming williams maybe still in quarantine james do you know about that would that be the explanation yeah, I, but I'm it feels sure. like ages Gabrielle ago that he signed yeah, and yeah. uh and like he's clearly not really been uh, uh, around much yet because they were like, oh, hey, hey, like chatting to each other as, as if they couldn't wait to see each other, but hadn't seen each other, you know, lately at training. And so uh, it, I'm just wondering when he's going to appear, because considering when he was signed, you'd like to think he'd be available for the first game of the season. That would but be nice. It's not very clear if he's actually done any much training yet. I think he hasn't. I mean, he came over from France, so there was a quarantine. No, not Gabriel. Period. Sorry, I'm talking about William. Ah, Willian. I don't know about Willian. He's not. I he, read he, quarantine as well. He, I think, maybe did have to quarantine. Quite a few Arsenal players had to just as a consequence of their holidays, you know. Um, and when they came back, they were slow coming back to training. Uh, and in fact, some of them only joined up in the last couple of days. So I think he might well be among that contingent. But Arsenal are playing. They played uh, QPR, I believe, yesterday behind closed doors, and they've got a couple more behind closed doors games. Um, They're all behind kind of, closed doors at the moment. Well, that's right? very true. Yeah. <laughs> behind, away from cameras as well then in this case. <laughs> yeah. Um, before they start the Premier League season. I, it's, I mean, the thing is, it's a short run up for someone like Willian, but it's a pretty short run up for everyone. So he'll it be is. in the mix, you'd have to and, think. And it's not like he lacks Premier League experience. Um, I mean, let's just... Uh, 
before we sort of end this section, what's the best we can hope for this season? Uh, Amy, um, what is the best we can hope for this season? And and I, I, mean, I understand, of course, what you'd like, but what you realistically think we can aim for. What, you mean ambitions? Yes. Like for the season? Yes, for <laughs> Arsenal, just for in case us. you're wondering. <laughs> So, so, yeah. so when I was thinking we're going to win the league before we came on air, that was you like, were. Slightly, slightly ambitious. Um, that, uh, what do I think? I, th- I think what people have to remember is that Arsenal finished eighth last season. That's a fact. And that was sort of maybe a slightly lucky eighth, given the way results fell on the uh, last day of the season for other teams. Um, so there is quite a lot of ground to be made up. And while it's always exciting to get new signings and I think this time last year when Pepe came in and Danny Ceballos signed and, and uh, you know, everyone felt like there was a lot of exciting things going on, Saliba being bought for what was then the future. Um, there was a lot of optimism, I think, that Arsenal could re-break in, you know, possibly re-break into the top four um, you know, this time last year. So you have to be a bit careful. Um, and I would say... Top four would be absolutely fantastic, but I wouldn't be amazed if it was fifth. And I would I would still regard fifth as a really big improvement. Uh, I don't think Arteta has a magic wand. If there are, is the number of kind of new players coming in that people are sort of hoping, uh, and that if essentially he's uh, devising a new back line or fairly new back line. Um, that you can't expect that to click immediately. Uh, potentially, there's some new, you know, new blood in midfield and further forward as well. So, that and we still, as we as we talk, the Aubameyang situation is still not resolved, even though there's so many positive pointers. But you know, until things are done, football can be a bit worrying in that regard. Um, so, I'd say that I'd say fifth would be great, and anything above that would be absolutely outstanding just given the nature of uh, uh, of the strength of opposition as well around the top four um and i think the europa league uh, people mock it uh, but i i think it's absolutely achievable for arsenal and would for me would be a brilliant thing to do next season because to win another trophy and then it's extra weight to this kind of cascading sense of improvement which is very you know directly linked with actually winning things and getting back in the Champions League through that avenue, I think is absolutely worth pursuing with the maximum uh, energy. And I, and, and I think if, I, if I, I would back Arteta to get Arsenal over the line in a final more than his predecessor, even though his predecessor had a great record in the Europa League. James? Mm, well, I can't argue with too much of that, really. I mean, Arsenal's... You know, it's more crucial than ever that, that Arsenal get back into the Champions League. And actually, when I think when you look at the Premier League and the Europa League, I think the Europa League might represent the best opportunity to do that. Um, I say that simply because you look at the money that Chelsea have spent, uh, you look at the money Manchester United are spending and will continue to spend. Um, and then the top two being as far away from everyone else as they were last season. I think top four is going to be really, really difficult. I think Arteta will take this team up into the top six, which is progress from what he inherited. Um, but yeah, I'm intrigued to see how he does in the cup competitions, particularly the Europa League. I know he had the disaster against Olympiacos um, last season, but I think that will make him all the more determined to 
put that right this time around. Quite. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you've really uh, summed it up there. Uh, I think a cup is, is very realistic uh, for this group of players. Um, and um, as for top four, we'll see how everything gels. Um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll chat more about some of the things uh, you, you guys have been writing about uh, in a short while. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash handbrake to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash handbrake now. And make sure you use our show name to support our podcast. Yes, this is the Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic, the Arsenal podcast for The Athletic here. Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Now, uh, myself and James, but not Amy apparently, have just received an email uh, telling us about details for uh, getting tickets to go back. Um, James, you've got it in front of you. Just give us the headlines. Uh, this is about trying to get people in uh, reduced capacity from October the 1st, is it not? Yeah, I mean, they're looking at the game against Sheffield United on October the 3rd as the first opportunity to start getting some fans in. I mean, look, it's a couple of big documents, so apologies. I'm sort of making my way through it as we talk. But it basically seems that season ticket holders, gold members of Arsenal, will uh, be entered into a ballot for these tickets. Um, I know that that's going to... And they'll get priority, and presumably, you'd think, would take the full allocation. I know Arsenal have other tiers of membership, silver and red, and some people have renewed for those for next season and you know have done so now, not necessarily getting a chance to get to a game. Uh, but uh, you know it's a very, very difficult system for the club to implement, very, very hard to make fair. Um, but they've gone with a ballot, and I think that probably... I mean, what, what else can they do, really? It's, it's quite tricky, eh? And well, it is, and they've also, by the way, I've got in in front of me the um, the amount that you have to pay in order to be entered for the ballot. So they want people to show a certain commitment uh, beforehand. Um, I mean, upper centre is four hundred and seventeen pounds and sixty eight p. By the way, uh, let's not forget that. Uh, and obviously, the the rest are are less than that. So you do have to pay a certain amount in order to be entered for the ballot. I mean, I wanted to ask the question of you both. Um, and I've seen the analysis on uh, on TV as well. The way that Arsenal are playing out from the back, um, we've almost been better without fans, haven't we? Do you think it changes the dynamic if the fans... I'm not saying we shouldn't come back in, but the worry that the fans... I'm absolutely not, but the worry that fans have... Quietly. quietly and just be... Be, um, you know, optimistic and, and just root for the lads. But I've seen the way we play out from the back and the way that the crowd can get on them if it gets a bit tight round there. You, um, I mean, it's not obviously they want to let people in, but we've been better without them, haven't we? <laughs> just having visions of they've got this ballot and you get let in and it's like, shh, you know, someone starts like, shh, 
quiet, you know. Not, not quiet. Camo, full camo. Just, just, yeah, but just basically don't get too het up if the ball is pinging around in our own box between David Luiz and Rob Holding, for example. Well, I'm just, I mean, how's even a song going to get going? Like, you know, the guy next to you is sort of a few few seats away, like, you know, you stand up, oh, and someone's looking at you. It's, it's Give us an A. What was that? Give you a what? Did you see any clips of the Brighton Chelsea friendly? No, they, but they trialed reduced capacity the other day. They I did. Have to say, I was quite impressed. I don't know if it's just because everyone sort of takes a bit more responsibility because they're like, oh, there's less of us here. We've got to generate atmosphere. But it was actually relatively effective. And if you think about how many people during the course of a football match are actually singing at any one time, you know, if you get the right people in there and they're up for it, you can generate a little bit of atmosphere. So I'm a bit more optimistic having seen the clips from that friendly than I, than I was previously. Don't you want to sit next to your mates, though, as well? I mean, I'm yeah, not saying... Yeah, that's the weird thing. You know, there's 11... I mean, where, where I sit, there's 11 of us sit together. Uh, I mean, at the most, two of us, I guess. Uh, opposite ends of that bit of like, little section, we had to sit together. It's not going to be ideal, but it'll be nice to get back in, won't it? It will. I mean, it's an interesting question, point you raise, though, about how it will affect teams. Um, I mean, I spoke to uh, Tony Adams recently for an interview and he was talking about how he felt in the lockdown period, certain managers' teams benefited. He was saying how he felt like Jose Mourinho and, and Chris Wilder, teams that play a little bit more instinctively, defensively, um, were flourishing because they didn't have the fans on their back, you know, trying to push them forward. It meant that they could just adhere to the tactical plan, which I thought was an interesting perspective and not one I'd necessarily heard I've sort of got a I'm going to write about this at some point but I've got a theory that Arsenal and the fans sort of needed this break from each other that things reached <laughs> such a sort of fever pitch yeah. around Granite Xhaka in November and at such a point of hysteria and angst that actually I think it was quite healthy for us to have some time apart for our it's relationship a trial, a trial separation <laughs> yeah, is I what really, we're talking I about I really, really believe that I think we'll come back together stronger we've realised how much we love each other yeah and absolutely. now and now we're back um, <laughs> Amy I mean do you have anything more what do you think about about this whole thing just I mean, picturing this kind of uh, metaphorical um, romantic dinner for two <laughs> between yeah. Arsenal and its fan base that's it we've realised you know Listen, we were overreacting. We realised what we really love about each other. <laughs> it's a new daddy, though, as well. Let's be fair. Yeah, very true. Very true. So, um, this is all getting slightly weird. Yeah, no, it is. No, to continue the analogy, it was always going to get weird. I was thinking of clothes being thrown out of a window, but I thought, let's not go there. Um, okay, anyway, at some point, we will be back. Maybe not together, but we will be back in the stadium. That's only a good thing. Um, now, you guys have been uh, scribbling away furiously um, uh, about uh, uh, about various Arsenal-related uh, things. Um, Amy, you wrote a piece, this, this, uh, this um, series in The Athletic uh, about uh, called Premier League 60, the 60 uh, best players in the Premier League. Some of the uh, ratings, I think, are arguable. Dennis Bergkamp at number, what, 15? I think. I can't believe there's 14 better players in the world, let alone the Premier League. Uh, but the one I read uh, this morning was about Patrick Vieira. I mean, we all love watching Patrick Vieira play. You talked a little bit about the Sheffield Wednesday uh, game uh, when he came on and, and changed the game. But I, I think the thing you were talking about that I found most interesting was the captaincy, really, and how he was a different sort of captain from Tony Adams. Well, I just, uh, I, I think one of the things that was, 
I loved about Patrick, uh, which he he had this capacity to to be so immense on the pitch, um, and yet he was quite a he's a really sort of gentle person off it. And I think when they were debating the sort of captaincy, who follows Tony Adams, which is a similar uh, debate really to, you know, who's going to fill the shoes of Arsene Wenger after 22 years. Tony Adams has been captains for 15 years. That is a long time that encompassed three different decades. So, you know, the world was a different place when Tony Adams was captain the first time of Arsenal or when Tony Adams was captain the last time of Arsenal. So handing over that uh, armband was a really heavy thing. And I think that at the time, there was a lot of older and more experienced. You talked about Burkamp was was there. Um, uh, Dave, Dave Seaman was there. In fact, <laughs> Martin Keown was there. And I, I had a conversation with Dave Seaman about this. And um, he was going through Ray Parler, going through the sort of older candidates of why they why they wouldn't have been such good captains as Patrick. Um, and he said, uh, you know, well, I was a goalkeeper and he never really felt that goalkeepers made the best captains because, you you know, you want to be a bit further on the pitch to influence things. Um, and he said Martin was a little bit like, he said, he said in the nicest possible way, he had quite a lot already going on on his plate, like looking after his own game, that looking up, taking responsibility for everyone else's was probably a bit much for him. Yeah. Uh, and then Ray Parley sort of giggled and said, wasn't really captain's, <laughs> captaincy material. Not really, um, no. And uh, so, uh, you know, that... That makes it sound like it went to Patrick by default, which obviously is not the case at all. They, they, you know, he was the obvious choice in everybody's eyes. But what was quite sweet is he felt he couldn't say yes straight away without going to some of those more experienced heads in the dressing room and asking for their blessing, um, which I like about him. It shows the kind of it shows the thinker and the human being. You know, most people wouldn't think twice, and he was very aware that he was not going to be uh, in the stereotype of. English captains that that had been around forever. He he was not able to be a Tony Adams or be a variation on that. He did it his own way. Um, but I still think he's one of the best midfielders that's ever played Premier League football. Um, and I was a bit disappointed with his ranking as well for him not to be in the top 10. I thought it was daft. Uh, I think, prob you know, there's not many midfielders that have ever been better for Arsenal Football Club. And he's no. someone I, 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 he was, was and is an all-time favourite. I felt very blessed to, in this series to write about three of my very favourite players and people ever. And that was, um, as well as Patrick, Dennis, and uh, the one and only Ian Wright. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we, like I say, we're, we're not, uh, we don't know. You guys do know, actually, uh, who's number uh, one and two. Uh, but we, uh, we're not going to release that just yet. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, James, um, Patrick Vieira, I mean, I mean, one of the things that Amy said was he's never been replaced. I mean, it's, mm. he is almost irreplaceable, isn't he? I think so, yeah. And there was that kind of trend, wasn't there, where uh, in the sort of decade after he immediately left, where Arsenal were linked with a succession of players who were described as the new Vieira, um, none of whom really got anything close to him in terms of his contribution and his ability. He is someone who just completely changed, I think, what it meant to be a, a Premier League midfielder. I remember us having this debate with Lee last season, but I, I agree with Amy. He kind of redefined what a modern midfielder could be by just 
being truly outstanding at kind of both ends of the pitch. And yeah, I mean, a, a different type of captain, but, you know, an incredible leader as well. And when we talk about Arsenal's midfield, which we seem to do every week on here at the moment, you can't help but pine for those days a little bit. Quite. Also played in all three of the great uh, Arsene Wenger teams uh, as well. Um, I mean, when we're talking about midfield, uh, James, you've written a piece about uh, Emile Smith-Rowe uh, and the toughness mm. he, he showed, which is one of Vieira's great qualities, when he went on uh, on loan to, to Huddersfield, you know, as a young kid. was You were talking about the way that, that they Arsenal sort of interviewed the potential suitors uh, and they wanted a, a, a team that played him in the position that they ultimately see him playing in, which, as you said, was a sort of between a number 10 and number 8. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they had interest from other clubs in the Championship. They had interest from clubs in Germany. Uh, and they chose Huddersfield for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is, like you say, they said they'd play him centrally. Uh, and that's really where he sees his game developing. But he also knew people there. The technical director at Huddersfield was a guy who'd come across from Spurs who tried to poach Emil Smith-Rowe when he was a youngster in the Arsenal Academy. Uh, and they knew the style of football, which Danny Cowley was the manager at the time, was relatively attractive. But apparently as well, Emil was sort of interested in going to be part of a, a relegation dogfight, basically, in the championship and sort of show a degree of physical toughness that's maybe not always been associated with him. You know, he went to Leipzig the previous year, played only three times in his half season on loan there, had some real problems with, with pain and, and basically didn't feature that frequently. Um, and he had a good loan, you know, scored a couple of really important goals, helped keep Huddersfield up, helped Leeds get promoted with this goal on the final day. But it's tricky to see what the immediate path forward is for him. I mean, in terms of style of play, he seems exactly like what Arsenal need. He's a guy who operates, like you say, in those gaps between midfield and attack, who's happy to get on the ball, drive at defenders, who makes runs in behind. I suppose the question against him is simply his inexperience. And at a time when Arsenal are lacking in those areas, is Arteta going to trust in this young talent he's got in the squad? Or is he going to look to bring someone in that might mean Smith Rowe has to go out on loan again to to stop his development from plateauing. So I think we'll get the answers to that in the next couple of weeks. Um, I think if he sticks around, there will be opportunities for him, particularly with you know the Europa League and the competitions to consider. It's just if it's enough to kind of satisfy everyone that's best for his development. I mean, that link play that James is talking about, Amy, I remember the way that Robert Pires used to control the ball uh, when he'd basically take it almost on the half turn and, and he, he did turn defence into attack. And Smith Rowe has some of those qualities. And I remember watching him in the Europa League last year and we did enjoy him very much. Um, it, it's possible that he will find a place, but it's there, there, there will be some competition. But it's Arsenal. Of course, there's going to be competition. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot will be down to Arteta's assessment of how ready he is. Uh, he's shown that he's trusted, obviously, Bukayo Saka first and foremost, um, but also also Joe Willock and Eddie Nketiah, you know, to, to have that faith to bring him back from, you know, when the Leeds uh, situation changed uh, in the middle of last season and say, no, he stays, he doesn't go back on loan to another club. Um, I think that what he sees in pre-season will determine what Art whether Arteta feels that this is someone else he wants to integrate now. And if he does, then he will be integrated now. And if he doesn't, then I guess, as James suggests, maybe another loan would be the best thing for him. Big couple of weeks uh, for Arsenal. A new signing, uh, a definite new signing that's actually happened. Uh, 
I'm going to say this again, Gabriel Magalhães, uh, who has come from uh, France to Arsenal, a new centre half, six foot three. Uh, James, he sounds exactly what we need. Do you know? I, I do think that on paper this looks like exactly the sort of signing Arsenal should be making. Not just because he's a six foot three centre half, but the age he is, early twenties, got experience playing in Europe, impressed. Uh, at Lille last season, you know, a big upside, big potential. Um, I'm really, really pleased that Arsenal got this deal over the line. And I think really interesting that if you look at the top young centre-halves in Europe, you know, we've got Gabriel, we've got William Saliba, who's back from his loan with St Etienne. And you can't help but hope, can you, that that could be kind of the cornerstone of Arsenal teams for the next five to ten years. In theory, they do have that potential. So, I've got all my fingers crossed that they can kind of dovetail uh, as effectively as 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 it would appear to work in theory. I mean, Amy, let's be fair. You get a centre-half pairing that works like, say, Liverpool have, and you can see what a difference that makes to their team. If these two, if Saliba and Magalhães um, click, I sound ridiculous every time in my head that I say his name, but you know what? I'm just going to keep doing it until people are convinced. Assuming that those two click, that can make a huge difference to the team. Obviously, I mean, it's. It, it, I think the um, the area that felt for a long, long time like it most needed assistance was that triangle that Lee talked about of the two centre halves and the defensive midfield player um, p- to pivot in front of them, and you, you know the relationship between those players and indeed the goalkeeper behind. But uh, it's just felt like um, for for oh, so long that that's needed attention. And uh, if part of all the changes and possible sales and movement that goes on results in a Thomas Partey style player coming in, which I think is still uh, a bit of a missing link in the team, um, the idea that there might be sort of two really large, but also agile, um, very defensively switched on sort of units at the back with a, 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 a sort of physically dominant player in, in, in sitting in front of them in, in defensive midfield, I think could be completely transformative for Arsenal. But I do suspect that it's something that might take a bit of time and be more of an evolution than a revolution. Mostly because, um, I don't know, I think Arteta may well be keen on kind of getting to a 4-3-3 as soon as he sort of can. But yes. with, with David Luiz still around and I think very much in the picture, um, um, it, it, it might well be that we see, still see quite a lot more of this back three that was the platform for some really positive results towards the end of last season and indeed the cup win. So I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know both Saliba and, and Gabriel get kind of integrated bit by bit, perhaps sometimes in turn, and, and it might take a while before we see them as a, as a, as a sort of authentic pair. But... Uh, Football being football, suspensions, um, injuries, what have you. Who knows what we get thrown into. But I'm definitely excited uh, uh, to see what's uh, what potential is there. I mean, who who isn't? And the fact that they've both got some size about them is great. And there are times, I don't know, James, if you've got this feeling, but I remember sometimes being in a mix zone, for example, and some of the Arsenal centre-backs or defenders would come in and just... When you're face to face, like in civvies, and they're not in their their kit and stuff, so sometimes they just don't look that big. I mean, I know he's not massively tall, but Mustafi's still six foot or whatever it is. But 
I, I, there are times I remember talking to him and just not thinking that he looked like a big bloke at all. Um, so it, it, I think it can make a difference. I was just going back to Patrick Vieira. We were talking about him earlier. And, I, you know, that Invincibles team that he was big part of. Team. They big were a team. really big team. And he, they tell a nice story of lining up in that Highbury tunnel, which was tight and close and had you almost shoulder to shoulder with the opposition as they were waiting to come out on the pitch. And, you know, they, they, those players said that they used to stand there and almost feel the opposition cowering at times. And what would happen is Patrick would be at the front and he would just turn his head around slightly and give a nod to the guy behind him, you know. And then this nod would get passed along the line. And I think it terrified people. Uh, and you, you can have a charisma and an aura about you when you're, you know, obviously you look at someone like Van Dyke as, as epitomising that, you know. He's got this authority and calmness. He's just by sort of standing around almost sometimes. And I think a few big... We have been a small team for a while. Arsenal has been a small team. And getting a bit bigger, but also not losing any ability in that is really interesting. Let's have a song from each of you. Uh, James, do you have a song? Well, I'm assuming it's what? going to be quite optimistic, by the way, but I might be wrong about this. <laughs> Off the back of our new signing, I thought I have to choose something by Gabrielle, of course, who for so long uh, was <laughs> out of reach. But now uh, we can all hope we will achieve our dreams. So of I'm going to say dreams, can. Gabrielle. <laughs> that wasn't literal in any way, James. No, That's excellent. <laughs> hey, you want to wait till mine. Um, Amy, what have you got? I hate to do this, James, but um, I'm going to go for a different kind of Gabrielle, but one with a lot more musical class. <laughs> uh, this is a dance track from actually the year before um, uh, Arsenal's Gabrielle was born, called Gabrielle Live Garage Mix by Roy Davis Jr. I can't, I can't believe it's better than Dreams. I, surely not. <laughs> Let's let the listeners decide. Okay. Okay. Um, do you know what? I've I've been unbelievably literal. I've I must say the last few months and having well since we came back from lockdown, aside from the aberration at Brighton, um, I've genuinely been happy. That's and I'm watching my football. Um, I, I've loved watching uh, Mikel Arteta and the way that he's managed to convince these players to do what he wants them to do and look at the results. Uh, two trophies in 29 days, as opposed to Spurs who have two trophies in 29 years. So. Um, I'm feeling happy, so I just chose uh, Pharrell Williams. Happy. In this particular case, Mikel Arteta has made me happy. He made all of us happy, so uh, that's what I'm having. Um, we're done, aren't we? We are done. We will be talking uh, much more about the ins and outs in the next couple of weeks. Season starts on the 12th, uh, so we'll certainly be back uh, before then. Thank you to Amy and James, and also thanks to Tyo, our producer. This has been the Handbrake Off podcast podcast. For The Athletic, I'm Ian Stone. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.